In his book, The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership, John Maxwell tells the story of two different, very different leaders and how their difference in leadership impacted the teams that they led. Back in 1911, two different men led teams on the mission to be the first people to actually make it to the South Pole. Roald Amundsen and Robert Falcon Scott. Amundsen was clearly a great leader and a great explorer. He spent a great deal of time getting ready for the trip. He studied among the Eskimos and examined what they did and other Arctic explorers, and he determined that, that based upon how they made it around in Arctic areas, that dog sleds would be the way to go. And so he recruited expert dog handlers, expert skiers. He studied what would be the best clothes to wear and what would be the best equipment to take. He made sure to stock depots along the way so that they wouldn't have to carry as much and that they would be able to have supplies as they made their route. And because of his leadership, they were the team that got there first. In fact, a month ahead of the other team. And the greatest problem that they had to deal with was that one of the men on the team had to have a tooth extracted while they were out. Scott, on the other hand, while definitely a courageous man, was a terrible leader. He didn't spend much time studying and he didn't spend much time preparing. He decided that what would be best was they would take motorized sledges and ponies. The problem was on day five, the motorized sledges quit working. By the time they got to the Transantarctic Mountains, the ponies could no longer handle the frigid temperatures and they had to kill them all. And so the men had to carry everything they had on their backs. He didn't stock their depots very well, so they were continually undernourished. They did not carry along enough kerosene to be able to heat the snow so they weren't able to have water and they were continually dehydrated. He had not done a good job researching what kind of clothes they would need and so their clothes didn't keep them warm and most of his team suffered from chronic frostbite and hypothermia. He didn't study to see what kind of goggles they would really need and most of his team suffered from snow blindness. And when they finally got there, they found that the other team had beaten them by more than a month. But that's not the sad part. The sad part is, is that on the way back, Scott decided that what they really needed to do was carry an extra 30 pounds of geologic stuff for them to carry back and study about the Antarctic. And so these already worn out and wearied men had to carry even more weight. On their way back, one man just fell into a stupor and just sat down and died. Another man who, because of his hypothermia and frostbite, felt like he was being a danger to the rest of his team one night, said, I'm just going to step outside, I'll be back in a bit, and just wandered off out into the snowstorm, never to be seen again. The other three men, after traveling for two months back from the Antarctic, that was ten weeks to get to the South Pole, now two months traveling back, still 150 miles from their base camp, the last three just sat down and died. And we know their story because they spent their last hours writing in their diaries and those were later found. 
But what was the difference between the team that succeeded and the team that didn't? What was the difference between an extracted tooth and five deaths? The difference was leadership. Leadership makes the difference. Leadership makes the difference in countries. Leadership makes the difference in corporations. Leadership makes, makes the difference in churches. And leadership makes the difference in homes. And that's what I want us to talk about for a few moments this morning. I want to talk about our homes. What's the difference between a thriving, growing, successful family and a dysfunctional, unhealthy family. Leadership. Before we look at this, would you bow with me in prayer, please? Almighty God and Father in heaven, we love you so much because you are the great leader of the universe. You are the great ruler, the creator, the sovereign Lord. You've created all things, and it's by your power and your word that they continue to be sustained and maintained. And we pray, Father, that you will lead our homes. We pray, Father, that you will help us in the leadership roles that we have in our homes, that we'll be leaders. Father, we pray that you would strengthen us and help us to follow in the footsteps of your Son, that we might be shepherds that would guide and influence others for good and influence them for your glory and your service. Father, forgive us for the times when we don't follow you, and we pray that you would help us to overcome the tempter and help us to glorify and honor you in all things. Father, we love you so much. Through your Son we pray. Amen. I think the very first thing that we need to ask is who is the leader? If we're going to talk about leadership in the home, who is the leader in the home? I have no doubt that if I were to put out a questionnaire and the the first question would just say, who is the leader in the home? The number one answer that we would receive here is probably the husband or the father. After all, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 22, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 22, it says to the wives, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So we're certain, of course, that the man, the husband, the father, he is the leader in the home. But I think that this is perhaps the biggest mistake we make when we talk about the family because the husband, the father, is not the leader of the home. Oh, no doubt. Husbands and fathers, we are leaders in our home and there's leadership that we need to perform within our home. But if the husband and the father is the leader in the home, we're going to be in trouble. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 12 says, there's a way that seems right to a man and it ends in the way of death. So if we make a man the leader of our homes, we're going to be going the wrong way. Look in Psalm 127. Psalm 127 that David just read to us moments ago. Do you remember the very first verse there? Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain to build it. Yes, husbands and fathers have leadership roles within the home. They are a leader, but the leader of our homes must be God. If we're not allowing God to be the leader in our home, we're going to be leading our families to death. Because God is the sovereign Lord and ruler. He is the one that will guide us in His right path. God must be the leader within our home. If anyone else is going to be our leader, we're going to be in problem, have problems. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3 drives this home. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3 
Paul there wrote, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband. And the head of Christ is God. Yes, men, we have leadership in the home. But if we have the idea that leadership means that we are the ones in control and we are the ones that get to set the vision and we are the ones that get to decide which way our families are going to go, we're going to have problems. And sadly, far too many men throughout history have decided that they get to be the leader in the home and they have used that idea and twisted and misused Scripture to beat their wives and children into subjection that the wives and children simply become tools for the husband's goal and the husband's dream. And that's not the way it's supposed to be. God is our leader. God is the head. And we need to surrender to His leadership rather than demanding our own. But if God is the leader, where is He leading us? Where is God taking us? 1 Peter chapter 1. In 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, <coughs> excuse me, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. God is leading us and our families to heaven. God wants us to be in eternity with Him. However, I think we need to understand that God's leadership is not merely walking us down a path to our eternal reward. I'd like you to look in Philippians chapter 3. In Philippians chapter 3, beginning at verse 7. Philippians chapter 3, beginning at verse 7. Paul demonstrates what it is that we need to do if we want to attain that resurrection from the dead and spend eternity with God in heaven. It says in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 7, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. What is it that Paul said he needed to have if he was going to have the resurrection from the dead? He needed a relationship with Jesus. God is leading us and our families into a relationship with Jesus. He wants us to know Jesus above all other things, and that's what He wants for our families as well. I think about Luke chapter 10, Mary and Martha. We've looked at this story before. In Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 38, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. What choice had Mary made? Martha was doing good things, but Mary had made the choice to get to know Jesus better and to understand His will better. That is where God is leading us, into a deep relationship with our Savior, that we might know Him and the power of His resurrection, that we might give up all things for His sake, so that we might honor and glorify Him. If you look back in Philippians chapter 3, 
In Philippians chapter 3, we recognize that this relationship with Jesus is not just in a vacuum, but rather is leading us somewhere even beyond that. Paul said that he's given up all things that he might know Christ. And in Philippians chapter 3, beginning at verse 9, he says that he might be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. God is leading us into righteousness. Isn't that wonderful? Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6 says to us that we ought to hunger and thirst for righteousness because those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 says. We've brought dishonor upon God. We've brought dishonor upon ourselves. And yet there's that hunger that we could be better and we could do better, that we could be more, that we could be what God wants us to be. It's that hunger and that thirst for righteousness. And God is leading us and our families there. If we'll let Him lead. But God demonstrates to us that the reason He wants us to have this righteousness is not simply so we could be personally righteous, but rather so that we could be a force of righteousness even here within this world. God has not simply saved us so He can reward us in the end. God has saved us that we might have a relationship with Jesus and through that have the righteousness that comes by faith so that we can be a force of good in this world. In Titus chapter 2 and verse 11. Titus chapter 2 and verse 11. The Scripture says there, "...for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people." training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. God is leading us into good works. He wants us to be a force for good here in this world. I'm not talking about church actions as churches step up and try to do all kinds of things. I'm talking about us as Christians being God's servants, being workers of good within this world. Going out and doing good to all men, especially to those who are of the household of faith. God wants us to be righteous people who do His will in our relationships with others. And that's what we want. But as as we've tried to do that on our own, we've consistently failed and fallen short of the glory of God. But God is leading us there. God will lead our families there if we will follow Him. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, Paul says that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Why? Created in Christ Jesus so we could go to heaven. Created in Christ Jesus so we could be forgiven. Created in Christ Jesus so that we could have salvation. No. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Why has God recreated us in Christ? Why is He bringing us into a relationship with Jesus that we might have righteousness that comes through faith so that we might pursue good works and be His force for good in this world? But there's even more. As seen in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 6, 
In Ephesians chapter 1, actually let's back up to verse 5. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 5, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. And then in verse 12, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. And then in verse 14, as it talked about the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Why is God leading us into Jesus Christ? Why is He leading us into righteousness and good works? So that we might be to the praise of His glory. The world is dishonoring God. The world looks around and sees the evil that sin has brought about, that Satan's influence, and they question God, and they wonder how God could allow this. God has us here so that He might lead us into good works, that it might be to the praise of God's glory, that God might be glorified. That is where God is leading us. That is where God is leading our families if, We allow God to lead. So how how do we submit to His leadership? How do we follow His lead? I'd like to share with you three things that our families have to be involved in if we're going to follow the lead of God. We need to study regularly. Psalm 119.105 says, Your Word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. If we're going to know the way that God wants us to go, we've got to be spending time in the Word of God. We need to be spending time in God's Word as individuals. We need to be spending time in God's Word as a family. We need to be spending time in God's Word with other families. God's Word is what provides the light that shows us where to walk. Remember in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, In Matthew chapter 7 and verse 24, as Jesus concluded that masterful sermon, He said, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man excuse me, who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. When we allow God to be our leader and we are surrendering to His Word and we're in His Word and we're doing His Word, He says it's like those who have built their house on a rock when the storms come, when the floods rise. We'll be able to withstand and we'll continue on. When the troubles come, we'll be prepared and we'll be ready and God will guide us through. But if we're not surrendering to His leadership and not spending time in His Word, when the struggles come, and they will come, when the floods rise, and they will rise, when the storms fall, and they will fall, our house will fall. We need to spend time studying regularly, not because it's our homework, not because it's what we're supposed to do every day, and and we're going to follow a reading plan, and every day we're going to make sure to get a little Bible study in, But because if we want to go God's way, we've got to be in God's Word. There's just no way for us to connect to God and have the strength that God provides unless we're in His Word. We need to see how much we need that. We need to study regularly. We need to pray fervently. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 
beginning at verse 16 says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In every circumstance, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This needs to be us. We need to rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in every circumstance. We need to be prayers. We need to be prayers individually. We need to be prayers as a family. We need to be praying with other families. Prayer needs to be the anchor for our family because we need to connect to God. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7, the Scripture says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties upon Him, for He cares for you. God cares what your family is going through. God cares when your kids are sick. God cares when you're having financial trouble. God cares when you're having altercations between husband and wife. God cares when things are going awry. God cares about what you care about. He cares about what's going on. And He wants you to bring that to Him in prayer. We talked about the honesty in prayer last Sunday as we looked at the Psalms. We need to have that honesty in prayer in our families and bring whatever's going on in our family to God in prayer and do it together with the family. Let all the family know that prayer is our connection to God. And Ephesians chapter 6 explains why we need to pray. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10, Paul says, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God. And it talks about the armor of God. And down in verse 18, it ends that list of armor. And it says, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Why do we need to pray? Because we're fighting an enemy that's too big for us. Look at that enemy again. Cosmic powers. Heavenly authorities and rulers. Spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We can't defeat this enemy. We can't win this battle, but God can. And so we don't pray because prayer is another one of those assignments. Oh, read my Bible. Pray. Go to church. That's not what it's about. We pray because unless we connect to God, we can't win the battle. We need to see that we're fighting that losing battle if we want to pray as a family the way we should, knowing that only God can win. And when we're with Him and connecting to Him, we will win. If we're going to follow God's lead, we need to study regularly. We need to pray fervently and we need to trust completely. We need to trust God completely. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. We learn about Abraham. By faith, Abraham. Hebrews 11 and verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents. Abraham didn't know where God was going to send him. Abraham didn't know where God's direction was going to lead him. But Abraham trusted God completely and he went out with God wherever God would lead. He trusted God completely. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. 
In Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, Paul says, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. Paul says that if we love God, God is going to work things out for us. We need to learn to trust Him. Sometimes when we pray and when we study, we realize that God is telling us to do things that we may not like, and we think, I don't know if that's going to work out, but we just need to trust God. Wherever God is going to send us, is where God wants us, and He's going to work things out. Our job is simply to do the next right thing. It's God's job to deal with the outcomes, and we need to trust Him. Trust Him completely. God will take care of us. No matter what happens, no matter what changes in our lives, no matter what anybody else does, God will take care of us. No matter how anybody reacts to us obeying God's will, God will take care of us. When we find ourselves saying things like, well, I know the Bible says that when I'm upset at somebody, I need to go talk to them, but I just can't believe that's the right thing in this situation. Instead of, we're not trusting God anymore, we're trusting ourselves. God says when we have problems with people, we need to go talk to them. I don't know how they're going to react, but I know that God says to work everything out for our good in the end if we love Him, and we love Him by doing His will. If we want to follow God's lead, we need to study regularly. We need to pray fervently. And we need to trust Him completely. If we're going to talk about leadership in the home. We need to talk about our roles of leadership within the home. God is the leader. But certainly we have leadership within the home. Whether we're talking about the husband as he leaves the wife or the parents as they lead the children or older siblings as they lead younger siblings or, or grandparents as they lead grandchildren, whatever type of leadership roles we have here, we need to discuss some principles that we need to follow regarding leadership within our homes, whatever that role is. And sometimes, sadly, those who should be leaders in the home aren't and others have to take up that mantle. And I just want to share with you a few principles and we're going to move through this very quickly. But I want to share with you six principles that will help you have leadership and have proper godly leadership. The first thing is you need to love. Paul told the husbands in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25 that they needed to love their wives. And there in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 28 and 29, he defined what that meant. In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ did. If we're going to lead, we need to do so in love, and that means nourishing and cherishing. First Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5 demonstrates that the goal of our instruction, the aim of our charge is love. Everything that we're doing, everything that we teach, everything that we practice is, is encouraging us to love. If we're going to lead as God would have us lead, whatever role that is in our home, it needs to be out of love. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7, tells us about love. In 1 Corinthians 13, beginning at verse 4, it says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. If we're going to lead in our home, this needs to be what guides us. Are we kind? Are we patient? Are we boasting or arrogant? Are we rude? Are we insisting on our own way? Now that's interesting, isn't it? Because oftentimes we think that leadership means I get my way. But leading in love says it's not about insisting 
on our own way. We need to remove resentment and bitterness. Not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoice with truth. Do we bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, endure all things? This is leadership. It's leading in love. Further, as we look in Ephesians chapter 5, as Paul talked about the husband's role in the home, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. We're going to lead. Whatever role of leadership, I know Paul here is talking to the husbands, but any kind of leadership for us as children of God does not mean getting my way and getting everybody else to serve me. It means sacrificially serving for others. It means putting their will above mine and their desires and their wants and their needs above mine and sacrificing myself to accomplish that. Remember Jesus taught in Luke chapter 22. In Luke chapter 22, he talked about leadership among his disciples. In Luke chapter 22 and verse 24, a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table, but I am among you as the one who serves? Jesus is not asking anything of us that He wasn't willing to give Himself. Jesus came down here and He served His disciples. And you know what? He served us as He went up on that cross and was put to death for you and me. And He's asked us to sacrificially serve. And if we're going to be leaders in our home or anywhere, really, it's going to be about sacrificial service. It's not going to be about getting others to serve us in the home. It's going to be about us giving ourselves to serve others so that we can glorify God. Look again in Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 27, the Scripture says that Jesus did what He did as our leader for a purpose, for a reason. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 27, it was so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. The thing that we need to learn here is that Jesus had His eyes on a goal. Jesus didn't just get sacrificed willy-nilly. This wasn't just action and reaction. This just wasn't just coincidence. Jesus had a plan. He had a goal. And if we're going to lead within our homes, we've got to envision that goal. We've got to be going somewhere. And we've got to make sure that we're going the right place. We've got to make sure we're going the place God wants us to go. We've got to make sure that it's about being presented before God holy and blameless and spotless. It needs to be about that relationship with Jesus Christ, about the righteousness that comes by faith in Jesus and the good works that God wants us to do so that we might be to the praise of His glory. What is your family doing when it comes to righteousness and good works? You're going to church. But is God leading your family to be that force of good? Are you surrendering to God's leadership? Looking for that goal, envisioning that goal, we've got to make sure that's our goal. The problem is, down here on the earth, Satan drops in a lot of other things that look attractive. But all those things will be taken away. You remember Mary and Martha? God looked at Martha and said, you're worried and bothered by so many things, but Mary's chosen the good part. It will not be taken away from her. Martha, what she was doing wasn't bad, but it wasn't going to last. It was going to be taken away. And as we follow God's lead here in this life, we may accomplish all kinds of things in the work world and the social world. God may use us to accomplish all kinds of things there, but if any of those things 
come before our relationship with Jesus. And if in our families we're not leading toward that goal of our relationship with Jesus and righteousness and good works in Him, then all that rest is going to be taken away. Merit scholarships are great, but if your kids don't know Jesus, what good does it do them? Living in the house on the hill is nice, and in the gated community is wonderful. But if your family doesn't know Jesus, what good does it do us? Driving the nicest, fanciest cars with the GPS that will almost drive it for us, and it will beep when we're about to run into something. It'll slow down because, because we've fallen asleep. I mean, that's, I want one of those. That is great. But if we don't know Jesus, what good is that going to do us? we're going to lead in our homes, whatever role of leadership we have, we've got to make sure that we are envisioning the right goal or we're going to find out that we climbed the ladder of success and had it leaning against the wrong wall. If we're going to lead in the home, we need to learn to empower and not control It's amazing to me when I think about how powerful God is. God is so amazing and powerful. He could make every single one of us do anything that He wanted, but you know what? He doesn't. He doesn't make us. He doesn't force us. He leaves it up to us. He shows us the way. He empowers us to go that way. He instructs us in the way. He's given us all we need to go His way, but He still leaves it up to us. I think about Luke chapter 9. Verses 1 and following, when, when Jesus was instructing His disciples, and I see this empowerment, not control. In Luke chapter 9, verse 1, And He called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And He said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever, wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Jesus didn't micromanage. He didn't follow along with them. He didn't make them do it His way. But He gave them the power they needed to get the job done. And He left it up to them whether or not they were going to follow Him and His will. Now, listen, I believe God has a will, and I believe if we want to serve Him and glorify Him, we've got to do things, God's things God's way. But what I can't help but notice is God doesn't force that. If we're going to lead in our homes the way God does, We've got to learn to empower and not control. See, my problem is, leading in my home often means you're going to do everything exactly the way I told you. You know, variation, you're not allowed to question, you're not allowed to think. You just do exactly what I say. If you get off track just a little bit, you will suffer my wrath. And I am going to force you to do exactly what I want. And if you ever even have a remote feeling that seems not to like it, too bad for you. But that's not how God has dealt with us. God has empowered us and given us the choice. And we need to learn how to do that in our homes. We need to learn how to empower others to follow God's will in our home and let it be their own faith that they follow and not ours. And what that means is we need to instruct, we need to guide, we need to provide opportunities to serve and glorify God. We need to lift them up to do that. But instead of trying to control, we need to empower And we need to get counsel. I think one of the problems for most of us, at least if you're like me, is that sometimes when you start thinking about being a leader, the idea you have is, well, I'm the leader. I don't need anything from anybody else. 
If I were really a leader, I wouldn't have to talk to anybody else because I would know and understand everything. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 22. Proverbs 15 and verse 22 says, Without counsel, plans fail. But with many advisors, they succeed. I want you to remember that Proverbs was written ostensibly by the king for his son. He's talking to the leader of the nation. Who, who else might say, I'm the leader. I don't need to get anything from anybody else. I'm the man and I'm going to tell you how to do it. And everybody follows my lead wherever I go. But, but he said, wait a minute. You need to get counsel. You need to get outside yourself. You don't know everything. None of us know everything. The fact is, when it comes to leadership in the home, most of us learn from our mistakes. And sadly, sometimes once we've made our mistakes, it's too late to go back and fix them. And so what we need to do is learn from somebody else's mistakes. Learn from somebody else's success. Talk with your shepherds. Talk with older Christians. Talk with others who have families that look and act like what you want your family to look and act like. Get their advice. Get their counsel. And not just as a leader within your home, spend time with them. Open your home and family up to others who can provide spiritual guidance and counsel. Let your family have spiritual brothers and sisters and parents. Don't think that leadership in your home means that you do it all on your own. If so, you're going to be in trouble because God works through His people. And God will work in your life and in your family's life through the other folks. Look at all these people He's given us to work with and be helped by. And we can learn from their mistakes and we can learn from their successes. We need to learn to open ourselves up to the counsel that others will offer. And finally, if we're going to be leaders, I suggest we follow the greatest leadership model that God has given us. And you know, interestingly, God didn't say that the greatest leadership model was a governor or a ruler or a king or a president. God demonstrated the greatest leadership model as a shepherd. In Psalm 23, we hear about God's leadership as a shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For You are with me. Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God is a shepherd, and if we will lead as God leads, we'll follow that shepherding model, leading our family in places of rest and renewal and rejuvenation, leading them in God's path for righteousness' sake, protecting and providing even as they walk through the valley of the shadow of death, preparing a table. This is what we need to be. Ezekiel chapter 34 talks about the wicked shepherds of Israel. And we see by contrast, if we're going to be shepherds in our home, what we need to see our role as. In Ezekiel chapter 34, beginning at verse 2, God said to Ezekiel, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there were no shepherd and they became food for all the wild beasts. 
we want our family to be scattered, then use our family as the source of goods for us. Rule them harshly and cruel. Don't bind them when they're broken or heal them when they're sick or seek them when they're straying. Instead, simply use them for whatever you can get out of them and think that they are there to be your servants. But if we want our children and our families to stay together, to not be scattered, to follow God's lead, then instead of using them for what we can get out of them, we recognize that we're here to serve and to feed. Strengthen the weak. Heal the sick. Bind up the injured. Bring back the strained. Seek the lost. Rule them with kindness and gentleness and service. That's leadership in God's home. That's what God would have us do. So the question for you this morning, who's, who's really leading in your home? Have you been trying to lead? Or is God leading?